Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, 7.30 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene. We had uh, some breaking news just a short time ago. Thermo Fisher is going to buy FEI Corporation, $4.2 billion the price. Thermo Fisher, $107.50 a share in cash. FEI makes electron microscopes. Thermo Fisher uh, makes mass spectrometry systems, and experts say the two are complementary. Google. Won a jury verdict, killing Oracle's claim to a $9 billion slice of the Android phone business. Oracle had contended Google needed a license to use its Java programming language to develop Android. Uh, jury in San Francisco rejected that argument. Apple shares still down six-tenths of a percent in early trading this morning. Snapchat, if you don't use it, your kids do. The app sends disappearing messages valued at $18 billion dollars after its latest round of funding. According to a person familiar with the matter, the financing pads the startup's war chest wants to evolve from a teen phenomenon into a mainstream media platform. We'll see. Now let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael? Mike, thank you very much. President Barack Obama has paid his respects to the 140,000 people killed when the U.S. dropped an atomic bomb on Hiroshima, Japan in 1945. A memory of the morning of August 6th, 1945, must never fade. President Obama laid a wreath at Hiroshima Peace Memorial Park today and met with some bombing survivors. A French vessel has arrived in the Mediterranean to help search for the Egypt airplane that crashed last week with 66 people on board. Meanwhile, the chief investigator in Egypt says search teams have picked up a signal from one of the devices on the plane that transmits its location. It narrows the search down to a three-mile radius. A Korean air flight at Tokyo's airport had to be evacuated after an engine fire while on the runway. No one was injured. The Boeing 777 with 318 people on board was heading to Seoul. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike? Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Land Rover Parsippany Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with John Stasher. Thanks, Mike. Steph Curry struggled in Golden State's two lopsided losses at Oklahoma City. People wondered if he was still injured, but the two-time MVP looked fine last night. 31.7 rebounds, six assists, five steals. Warriors stayed alive, 120 to 111 to cut the Thunder's lead to 3-2 as they go to OKC for game six tomorrow. Mike D'Antoni, former Nick coach, hired in Houston. The Rangers got a good look at just how well the Pittsburgh Penguins were playing back in round one. Penguins finished the regular season winning 14 of 16. It has carried over. They won game seven from Tampa Bay. 2-1 as rookie Brian Russ scored twice in the second period. So the Stanley Cup final, Pittsburgh versus San Jose, game one Monday. Yankees tonight begin a 10-game road trip at Tampa Bay. They come off two losses that followed the six straight wins. They managed just three singles off Jay Happ after a Starlin Castro home run in the first inning. The Blue Jays won 3-1. to the Mets host the Dodgers tonight. The Dodgers are starting 19-year-old lefty Julio Urias. He's from Mexico. He's been dominant in the minor leagues. Mets are a game behind Washington and top St. Louis 2-1. Bryce Harper with an upper deck home run. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stanchow. 
Well, it is uh, looking like we're going to open higher this morning. S&P futures up by two points, Dow futures by 15. Little change in Europe, though. Everybody waiting for Janet Yellen's speech this afternoon, or her appearance. It's not a speech. It's a discussion with Greg Mankiw of Harvard. We'll see whether it produces anything. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keen, and we are looking at dollar index that is little changed slightly higher today the yen comes in at 10963 the euro 11171 the pound 14662 tom and i watching that it's a little weaker today it is all about brexit obviously until the end of june time now for the bloomberg njit stem report brought to you by new jersey institute of technology investing more than 110 million dollars a year in applied research to solve problems and improve life learn more at storiesofinnovation.nj JIT.edu. Here's Bob Moon. Good morning, Michael. Here's what's making news in science, technology, engineering, and math. More now on that copyright infringement dispute between Oracle and Google over the Android operating system. Oracle says it plans to appeal Google's victory. Still, legal experts say overturning the jury verdict will be difficult, and it may give comfort to programmers who write applications that run across different platforms without a license. While Oracle contended Google should have licensed its use of Java programming language in its Android system, which now runs 80% of the world's mobile devices, Google said it used Java to innovate rather than merely copy code. Jurors in San Francisco Federal Court rejected the argument uh, of uh, Oracle and concluded that Google did make fair use of the code under copyright law. Microsoft researchers and the National University of Singapore will collaborate on data science, deep learning, artificial intelligence, according to a joint statement. The university's new Institute of Data Science is aimed at nurturing scientists for Singapore's Smart Nation initiative. Microsoft chief Satya Nadella attended the signing ceremony in Singapore. And Microsoft and Facebook are teaming up to feed the insatiable demand for bandwidth. The two plan to build a 4,100-mile undersea cable stretching from Virginia to Spain. The cable will deliver faster online and cloud services to customers of both companies. It's to be completed by the fall of 2017. And that is this morning's Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Michael. Thank you very much, Bob Moon. Well, he is a Pulitzer Prize winner. He's an authority on international politics and economics. He's written best-selling books. And the only thing anybody wants to know from Daniel Jurgen is, what's it going to cost me to fill up my tank as I drive around the country on this Memorial Day? He's vice chairman of uh, IHS, and he is the maybe the world's leading energy expert. Good morning to you, Dan. Uh, I won't ask you that question, but I will ask you, uh, where we are with oil right now, um, it's easy to say, does it go up, does it go down? But really the question is, is kind of uh, where are we in the balance of supply and demand that will influence uh, prices going forward? It's so striking to see how different it is from just three months ago when oil was around $26. And now, as, as you know, yesterday it touched uh, $50. So I think it's a signal of the market moving back into balance that uh, is accelerated in, in that direction by uh, outages uh, in Canada, of course, from the, from the giant fires, and then uh, uh, worryingly uh, what's happening in Nigeria, which is production is down because of uh, basically because of violence, and uh, and the brooding concern about what happens to Venezuela. So all of that's reflected in, in the price, and uh, as uh, as the oil exporters get ready to go to Vienna for their next meeting of OPEC. 
Yeah, that has, seems to probably have lost some of its drama. Absolutely. I mean, you know, remember in February there was talk about the freeze uh, to try and stabilize the price, but uh, the market itself has stabilized it, uh, helped uh, by these disruptions. So it's not clear what uh, what would be the topic at uh, OPEC uh, other than uh, kind of continuing where it is. And really in the, in the third quarter, we'll see a market imbalance. And even this summer, we're going to see the combined imports of U.S. and uh, Chinese uh, oil into the U.S. and into China up over a million barrels a day compared to last year. Well, it's interesting you use the word the market has stabilized. How stable is it? We've seen an awful lot of volatility over the last 12 months. What does stable mean in that context? Well, I think it means that uh, very unlikely to see what we saw earlier this year, which was uh, really the bottom. And, you know, I think in sort of February we had capitulation by many producers as they cut their budgets by 50 percent. Uh, uh, the independent producers. So I think you're quite right. It's going to be volatile. One thing to watch is what um, the main Gulf producers do in terms of stepping up production. Uh, and, uh, you know, it'll be all those demand things. So it's not going to be, you know, that uh, I don't think it's going to be stable. It's going to be volatile and people will read signals going in one direction or another. But I think what happened yesterday with $50 was a signal that um, that we're kind of going to be moving into the recovery phase in terms of global oil. Well, we've dropped back now, 48.90 at the moment for yeah. Brent. Uh, does it breach 50, and and how high could it go? Well, we're, we've been using saying in the second half of the year, we think uh, oil is in a sort of average in a 50-ish range, maybe between 50 and 55, but but, but uh, around you know in that neighborhood, and we got there a little earlier. Because of you know the outages that uh, that uh, I described before. Well, the real question then becomes: At what price would it, uh, frackers come back into the market and upset the balance, the stability? Yeah, I just uh, was in Houston earlier this week and uh, talked to a lot of them, and uh, you know I think that uh, at fifty they start to generate you know more cash flow, but I think that uh, companies and their lenders are going to be cautious until they really see some foundation. So there's this notion that, you know, you've got to get closer to 60, or as one CEO told me, you have to have line of sight of 60 to really be stepping things up and to convince people and to convince boards of directors uh, to uh, to make any yeah. major steps forward. Let's come back with Daniel Jurgen from IHS. Interesting speech yesterday by the Republican nominee for a president on energy in the future. We'll get his thoughts on that coming up here on Bloomberg Surveillance. We're counting down to the opening bell, brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. The Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. 
And I'm Karen Moscow. Thermo Fisher Scientific will buy FEI for about $4.2 billion, gaining imaging technology for the life sciences and materials sciences industries. Global equities are headed for their highest close in three weeks, the dollars rising against most peers. As investors wait to see whether comments from Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen will disrupt the calm that's settled over financial markets. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up one and a half points. Dow E-mini futures up 14 and NASDAQ E-mini futures are up seven. The DAX in Germany is up a tenth of a percent. Ten-year Treasury up 132nd. The yield 1.82 percent. NYMEX crude oil is down 1.1 percent or 54 cents to 48.94 a barrel. COMEX gold down a tenth of a percent or $1.10 to 12.2160 an ounce. The euro $1.1168. The yen 109.64. And shares of FEI up more than 13% in early trading. And Blackstone Group, the world's biggest private equity property investor, planning to sell hotel buildings in London, Dublin, and Amsterdam for about $1.1 billion. That's according to people with knowledge of the matter. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Uh, Bloomberg Surveillance this morning brought to you by Interactive Brokers Investors Marketplace. An online service where traders, investors, and institutions can meet and collaborate, enhance your business uh, trading experience, and expand your business. Visit ibkr.com slash services, ibkr.com slash services. We are honored to have Daniel Jurgen with us uh, today on his quest, his prize, his commanding heights. But what many of you may not know, the book that launched Jurgen's career was Shattered Peace. It redefined um, how we study diplomacy and particularly that between uh, uh, the United States and Russia. Dr. Jurgen, today was a day of remarkable moment at Hiroshima. And so much of it to me is two nations listening to each other, which was part of the heart of your Shattered Peace. From where you sit and with your years of experience Are the Japanese listening to the president? Are the Japanese listening to the United States? I think that the um, visit to Hiroshima clearly had a very big and significant uh, impact uh, to the Japanese people and uh, connected. I think that the Japanese uh, have gotten, uh, if anything, they are more concerned recently about the relationship with the U.S. There's economic, but really the strategic because of this kind of polarization that's going on in East Asia and the controversy over uh, China's stance in the South China Sea, which is the highway for uh, two-fifths mm-hmm. of world trade. Interesting. And, of course, you discuss that at length in the prize and the quest in your work decades ago on the need for hydrocarbons of Japan. Mike, maybe that discourse in the moment Hiroshima brings us back to what you observed yesterday in the Dakotas, in our present presidential campaign. Well, uh, Donald Trump went to North Dakota to give a speech on uh, what his energy policy would be. One of the uh, things he suggested is that we just start drilling more and more. Uh, and I'm wondering, it, it struck me as uh, immediately as uh, kind of odd, given the fact that the, the economy took a, a big hit from uh, the, the, the over- uh, supply that we generated and uh i i wonder if if that's a good idea dan uh and, well, and how it, that would uh, play it, out yeah it's uh, as you say uh, uh the world oil market has been transformed by what's happened in the united states 
you know, as, as we talked before, OPEC is meeting. But when you think about it, there's a, now there's something we can call the big three of world oil, and two of them aren't in OPEC. One is Russia, and the other is, in fact, the United States. I think that uh, Mr. Trump had a, 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 an audience that welcomed his remarks in, in North Dakota because, of course, North Dakota was a state that boomed, had the lowest unemployment rate from uh, the development of the Bakken Shale. And I think his words uh, fell on very welcoming ears, just the, the general notion of getting uh, production going again. But, of course, uh, it's going to be the global price that's going to do that. It's not going to be... Uh, words that will do it, uh, it will respond to, you know, to, to the market. Well, he said we should have energy independence, um, complete American energy independence. He said totally independent of the need to import energy from the oil cartel or any nation hostile to our interest. Uh, does that work? Is that what we want? Well, I think that um, first, if you look at all energy, uh, we're largely self-sufficient. In fact, we're oversupplied if you look at gas. So we're really just talking about oil. And our oil imports have gone down from about 60% of our total supply to, well, they're going to be up now somewhat, but, you know, around 25 to 30%. So we're in a much more resilient position. But at the end of the day, there is still only one global oil market. And, you know, the price goes up because of outages in Nigeria. And whether we're importing oil from Nigeria or not, we're going to be reflected here. But energy independence has been a, um, uh, a thing that uh, presidents and presidential candidates have been calling for since the 1973 oil embargo, yeah. what President Nixon had. And uh, for years and years and years, it looked like we were only going to import more oil right. with shale turned around. And it certainly has made our position different. And I'll tell you, when I travel elsewhere in the world, there is uh, a much greater sense that there's geopolitical consequences that the U.S. is in a better position and more influential position because of what's happened with our domestic energy. Okay, but within that goes to Mike's original question. The nirvana of energy independence means we don't have a relationship with strategic and tactical partners. We want to maintain those relationships, which means we want a bilateral agreement on energy, don't we? We want well, them I, to participate. I, I mean, I've become convinced over time that the best way to actually let these things work is actually let the market work, and that uh, it was, after all, the market and innovation that provided this uh, revolution in U.S. energy. But it was true in Mr. Trump's remarks, and he also called for the Keystone Pipeline to be built, and, of course, our major source of imported oil is, is in fact, uh, Canada. So, um, you know, I, I sometimes think that this term energy independence is kind of really a, a, a metaphor, but our position as a country overall is a lot better than it was even six or seven years ago in terms of energy. The uh, the Republican candidate also suggests that uh, through some magic of his incredible abilities, he'll be able to bring back uh, coal mining jobs and uh, bring back coal as a major supplier of energy. Is that likely to happen? Well, I think coal is down for two reasons. One is, of course, it is harder to, well, it's very hard, basically impossible to build a new coal-fired uh, plant, uh, and and uh, the pressure on existing plants is increasing. But the other issue out there is uh, inexpensive natural gas, and gas has now overtaken coal as uh, as a um, for our electric generation. 
you know, it's interesting that as a country, we made a huge bet on coal in the 1980s uh, for electric generation because it was inexpensive and because it was domestic and it was secure. And now that position is, is really uh, eroded. So uh, there's going to be growth in coal consumption right. globally, but not in the United States. Uh, Dan, do your economists in your financial types at IHS, do they believe the balance sheets have been cleared? Or are we setting ourselves up for a summer, you know, I guess end of September 33rd quarter into November of further carnage on balance sheets of oil companies? Well, that's, you know, it's there's a combination. A, there's a carnage, and B, there's what the regulators decide to do. And I think if we're looking at uh, $50 oil, uh, that takes a lot of the pressure off companies that they were, you know, yeah. at, uh, at 30 or 40. I think the debt problems, and that's still going to be one of the drags in terms of, uh, you know, kind of turning things around. And I don't think we're going to see any increased uh, kind of activity where we were adding a million barrels a day uh, for three years in a row, more or less. But I think, you know, so I still think the debt is there. And, of course, uh, the shale industry was a big beneficiary of very low interest rates in terms of access uh, access to capital. Let me quickly ask you, because uh, we just have a minute left here. So where does that leave the U.S. in this whole question of um, energy independence and, and our own uh, supplies? Uh, is this going to last even with the, the price at a level where we're not drilling constantly? Yeah. Well, I think that we're seeing U.S. production go down um, and uh, the high point was April of last year, and we'll probably be down well over a million barrels a day before things uh, balance out, maybe 1.2 million barrels a day. So, in fact, I think we're going to see our imports go up modestly. Uh, you know, Americans, we're coming up to Memorial Day. Americans are driving more uh, than ever before. Gasoline prices are still cheap, so demand is going up, and uh, supply, domestic supply is down somewhat. And that means, in fact, that we'll be importing somewhat more oil uh, than we were this time last year. So uh, energy independence, I think, uh, is, should be maybe seen as a rhetorical uh, aspiration mm-hmm. rather than reflecting the, you know, the real flows of, uh, of supply and demand. Dr. Jurgen, thank you so much. Uh, Daniel Jurgen with IHS, of course, perspective from his commanding. It's great to speak to him on this uh, most historic day for our Pacific uh, policy futures up two, Dow futures up fifteen. Ten-year yield a churn, a little bit in this morning, one point eight two percent. I would note German yields. I haven't talked about them this morning, but um, German two-year negative point five two three, and the ten-year with a little bit of weight zero point one three percent positive zero point one three percent moving this morning. This is Bloomberg surveillance. 